Welcome to Matthew Felix On Air, people who create, people who make a difference. Hope you had a great week. One week until the launch or the release of my new book, Porcelain Travel Travels, Humor, Horror, and Revelation in, on, and around toilets, tubs, and showers. So consequently, I have been very hard at work and uh, I have been filming and editing and graphic designing and planning and posting and on and on and on. It's a lot of work, but it's also a lot of fun because it's really helping to drive home the fact that I have a third book coming out, which is really exciting. So like I said, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, I was also really excited this week to discover that Porcelain Travels had uh, been designated a number one new release in travel humor on Amazon. So thank you very much to all of you who have helped me with that. And uh, hopefully that's a sign, you know, a good sign of, of things to come. Uh, now, of course, it hasn't actually been released yet. And as I mentioned last week, until a friend told me, I didn't even know that the book was available for pre-order. So discover to discover that it, it already has been, um, it already is sort of taking off, like I said, was uh, made me really, really happy. All right. So this week, I also got recognized for the first time in public because of this show. And uh, that was pretty exciting and, and completely unexpected. I was at... Uh, at my Whole Foods, and the cashier had actually seen my show last week and said, hey, I just watched your show online. And uh, so that was pretty cool. And so again, thanks to all of you who are sharing and telling your friends and rating and reviewing because that is how the word gets out. And, um, and like I said, I really, really appreciate it. Going back to Porcelain Travels, I have received my first two shipments of books. I dropped off 20 copies at Book Passage in the San Francisco Ferry Building, which is the only place the book is actually available before 11.11. And uh, that's because Left Coast Writers is throwing me a launch party there on Monday, November 12th at 6 p.m. So Book Passage Ferry Building got a few copies prior to the official release date to help promote the, the launch party. So again, that is on November 12th, Monday, November 12th at 6 p.m. Today's show, not surprisingly then, is going to be dedicated 100% to Porcelain Travels, uh, or at least 98% maybe, because there actually there, there are a few things before we jump into the, to the main part of the show that I wanted to mention. First off, at the end of each show, you know, I do mention that if you'd like to be on the show or if you have show ideas, I would love to hear from you. I'd love for you to contact me and let me know. And last week, I actually had three people contact me. And so, and, and you know, some of my past guests have been people who they reached out to me. So I just wanted to, um, to, to acknowledge those three people and say thanks for, for reaching out. And I also just wanted to express again that I really do like hearing from people. Now, uh, especially, and I, and I wanted to mention the three people because, or the fact that the three people had contacted me because I haven't gotten back to all of them yet. So, uh, so again, just want to let people know I appreciate that. I got the messages. And, um, you know, not everyone is a good match for the show, and I try to schedule pretty far out, but, um, but I really appreciate hearing from people. And um, so, again, if you've got show ideas or would like to be on the show, please let me know, Felix on air at MatthewFelix.com. Speaking of guests, the other thing I wanted to do before we get into the thick of things today is mention some of my upcoming guests. Next week, author uh, Linda Watanabe. Watanabe, sorry, Linda Watanabe McFerrin will be on the show. I have wanted to have Linda on forever. She's a very accomplished novelist, poet, teacher, former San Francisco Chronicle book reviewer, founder of Left Coast Writers, and on and on and on. She also happens to be the person that I workshopped my new book with, Porcelain Travels. 
And um, but we're not going to talk about my book. I mean, we will at the beginning of the show, of course, because next Sunday is the release date. I'm not going to not mention that, obviously. But but the main focus of the show will actually be on Linda's upcoming anthology, which um, which just, you know, she has this this really large, extensive, very varied body of work and it's all being brought together in an anthology so we're going to talk about that she is also editing a uh, cuba anthology and so we're going to talk about her cuba anthology and lots more because like i said we have lots to talk about with linda on 11 18 savani babu is going to be here to talk about dark sky conservation and i'm really excited about this and my limited understanding of dark sky conservation is that it's you know it's about preserving areas of the sky from light pollution so that we can go and really see the stars and observe the stars. And for those of us who live in cities, um, we, that's not something we can take for granted, right? And, um, and I'm just really curious about this whole idea that there is a, a movement uh, related to that. And then the third guest I wanted to mention is on 1125, Willem Boot is gonna be in the studio. And he is the founder of Boot Coffee. He is a coffee expert who has advised coffee companies, coffee associations, development banks, governments, all over the world about coffee. And so we're going to talk all about coffee. And I've wanted to do a coffee, ep coffee episode for a long time, and I'm just really excited that Willem agreed to be on my show. So that is something, again, I'm really looking forward to. The last thing I'll mention uh, is, before getting into today's show, is December 7th, Friday, December 7th, at Book Passage in Corte Madera, not the one at the Ferry Building, but the, the main one, in, or the larger one, the original one, I think, in Corte Madera. I will be part of a uh, book event related to books related to Morocco, and this is being organized by Aaron Byrne, author, filmmaker, and Lit Wings founder, a two-time guest on this show. And it's the event is in honor of, like I said, books about Morocco, Aaron has a an anthology vignettes and postcard from Mor vignettes and postcards from Morocco that um, she'll be talking about and reading from and have a couple other readers, and then I'll be reading from my Morocco book with open arms short stories of misadventures in Morocco, and not only Aaron and I but like I said there'll be some other readers so Doug Cordell, Christina Amon, and Anna Elkins will also be reading at that event so really looking forward to that. And uh, all right, so uh, please check out that event Friday, December 7th at Book Passage in Corte Madera. All right, hello, Kimberly. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Diane. I see quite a few people chiming in on Facebook, so just want to say hello to each of you. All right, but now it's time to get to today's show. Porcelain travels humor, horror, and revelation in, on, and around showers, what is it? Uh, toilets, tubs, and showers. That's a really long subtitle. And that's because the stories in this book are really varied and they cover a lot of ground. So from Morocco to France to Spain to Turkey to the West Bank, the stories venture there and elsewhere in the Mediterranean. There are also stories that take place in Scandinavia, in Eastern Europe, and even here in the United States, in California, Arizona, a couple other places. Now, sometimes the stories are exactly what you might think, just given the title. They are funny or horrible experiences that I had in bathrooms during my travels. Uh, sometimes they involve biological processes, like you might think, again, given the title. Most times, though, they don't actually involve biological processes. And when they do, I still try to treat the subject matter in sort of a literary, uh, a literary fashion, more or less. And um, at least I tried to. And for me, you know, there's not really much that can't be joked about, if anything, that can't be joked about in the right way. Um, 
and I'm definitely not a prude, but at the same time, lowbrow humor to me sort of seems a little too easy. So I really tried not to resort to that in this book because uh, I also don't think it's funny usually. And uh, But anyway, you can let me know whether I succeeded along those lines. A few other things just about the stories and kind of the approach that I took to the stories. You know, sometimes the bathroom or some aspect of it is just what ties the story into the overall collection. It's not really focused on the bathroom necessarily. Sometimes it's focused on something else. A couple of the stories are about not having a bathroom. And then a few stories even have nothing to do with the bathroom, but they got included because they happened alongside another story in the collection that does. And I just felt like there were stories that were too good not to include. So there are two or three like that. They really don't have, they're not specifically related to bathrooms at all, but because they were such good stories and they happened alongside the, the other stories that, that were related, I wanted to include them. So like I said, two or three stories along those lines. Um, in a few minutes, then, I'm going to give you a quick intro to each story and give you a better idea. Um, so hopefully you'll see what I mean then. Before I do, however, I wanted to share a little bit about how the book came to be. Because as I've said before, uh, just like my Morocco book, With Open Arms, I honestly was never planning on writing this book. And it started when I was working on my novel, A Voice Beyond Reason, in Spain. And I wrote some stories for friends and family about some of the humorous bathroom experiences I had had during my travels, including at some of the places where I was living while, while being abroad. I wrote the stories, I shared them, and uh, shared them with some family and friends, and then just sort of forgot about them. Well, 10 years later, once I'd published my novel, once I'd published my Morocco book, I was home for the holidays, and some of those friends and family who had read the original bathroom stories, as we just sort of informally referred to them, said, all right, you've published those two other books. When are you going to publish your bathroom stories? And I said, you know, I'm not going to publish my bathroom stories. I honestly had no, no intention of ever doing that. So I just, again, kind of dismissed, dismissed their, inquir their inquiries with a laugh and moved on. Well, the next year over the holidays, I got the same questions from, from family and friends. And, you know, when are you publishing those bathroom stories? And I thought, wait a second, you know, if people who read those stories are still thinking and still laughing about these stories over 10 years later when I'm not even bringing them up, then rather than be so dismissive, I need to hear that. And it seems as if some of these stories obviously resonated if people are still talking about them. So I came back to San Francisco and I dug up the stories. And the truth of the matter is, even then, I still didn't really think they were that funny. I kind of saw why people did, but I still they still really weren't working for me. But in the meantime, since I had written them originally, you know, I'd worked with an amazing editor on my novel. I worked with a lot of some ruthless beta readers. I worked with friends and my, my writing group, and I had really honed my craft. And so even though the stories, I didn't think they were quite up to snuff, I now saw how I thought that I could make them kind of what, that, what they would need to be for me in order to feel good about them and funny and entertaining, whatever the case might be. Well, in the meantime, also, like I said, 10 years had passed, and because I'm a budget traveler, you know, I had, I, and I'm willing to put up with a lot, I had had a lot more experiences that fit right perfectly in with, with these sorts of themes. And so I quickly realized that I actually did have a book here. So, uh, you know, I wrote the other half of the stories. I workshopped them. I worked on them with my writing group. I got an editor. I got feedback from beta readers, all that stuff that I just mentioned. And as a result, Porcelain Travels came to be. So one thing I wanted to do on today's show was give you a story-by-story -story overview or introduction to my new book, Porcelain Travels. And the I thought there'd be no better place, obviously, to do that than right here in the bathtub. 
given the subject matter of the book. So uh, the first story is called It Ain't Over. And this is a story that could have been included in my Morocco book, Short Stories of Misadventures in Morocco, with open arms, Short Stories of Misadventures in Morocco. But at the time, I wasn't sure that I could... I didn't know if I really wanted to go there. And I subsequently realized with regards to the subject matter what actually happens in this story. But then I subsequently realized that I could treat this story in a literary fashion and go there while still sort of maintaining a certain level of, I don't know, not decency, but, but in a way that would be palatable to, to, to most people. And I even had my mom read this story and she was fine with it. So I think I did an okay job with that. But basically the story entails... Or it's sort of, it's the, it's the rest of the story from my first arrival in Tangier, Morocco. And I had a horrible arrival. I was harassed. There was all sorts of just horrible things that happened to me my, my first night in, in Tangier. And this, I get to the hotel and I'm thinking that everything is, is done and that I've made it. And it turns out that there's one more sort of pseudo-cultural experience that awaits me. And so, again, the title of that one is It Ain't Over. The Bin and the Bomb is sort of a collection of stories within the overall collection that is Points of Travel. It's about 8,000 words. And so, like I said, it's a bunch of little stories that all take place during my time staying in this, uh, these servants' quarters in Paris. And the, the bathing situation was bizarre. Everything about this place was bizarre. Um, the bathing situation, but a lot, a lot of other things as well. So this is a collection, like I said, of several stories about my experiences when I was living in this really strange living situation. No Stopping is a story that is sort of in line with what you might expect from this collection in the sense that it really is about biological processes, as the, uh, as the title might suggest. And um, basically I was in Eastern Europe and I had to go to the bathroom really, really badly. And as I was going to the bathroom, I realized that all was not what it seemed. And that's all I'm going to tell you about that one. Barely Breathing is... Uh, what's Barely Breathing? Oh yeah, Barely Breathing is another story that takes place in Paris. And I had just flown, you know, from San Francisco to Paris. And I was at my friend's place and she wasn't there yet. And again, you know, having just flown halfway around the world, uh, I had to go to the bathroom. So I go to the bathroom and this is one of the several stories that sort of allude to or touch on the, the, the humor and the just oddity that can come from cultural differences in bathrooms when we're traveling. Freshly Squeezed is a story that happens right after the previous story. I left Paris and went to visit a friend in Copenhagen. And again, after, after the trip from Paris to Copenhagen, I was feeling just, you know, really greasy and exhausted and I just really, uh, really needed a shower. And so uh, this story is about you know, my friend ushers me to his shower, to his bathroom, and I, I go inside, and it's just a minuscule room. It's almost like a little closet. And I'm there to take a shower, and I look around, and there's no shower. And so this story is about how I sort of negotiate that and how I figure out how to actually bathe and how to take a shower in a room where ostensibly there is no shower. And then there's some other things that follow. Once I figure that out, there's some other things that follow in that very peculiar uh, bathroom. Double Duty, this is a story that takes place in Malta, which is someplace I had wanted to visit for a long time. And again, I had just flown halfway around the world. I, I went to bed early. I wanted to get on their schedule so I didn't have to deal with serious jet lag. But I was awoken at 5 a.m. And I wasn't awoken because of jet lag. I was awoken because of something taking place outside my apartment. And so Double Duty is how I come up with a sort of creative solution so that I can keep sleeping. 
between my legs. Um, so this is an example. This is a story. Actually, it's two separate stories that I included together because they take place chronologically at the same time and in the same place in Barcelona. One has to do with some, some weird situations in the bathroom where I was staying when I was in Barcelona. But then the other is a story that just happens at the same time, the same place, and it was too good a story not to include in the collection. So I do that a few times in porcelain travels. I include stories that are sort of, I felt too good not to include, that don't specifically relate to toilet soap or showers, but they're somehow related, maybe it's just in time and space, to ones in the collection that do. A day at the beach. Now this, this story recounts one of the strangest days of my life, one of the most unforgettable days of my life. And it's, it's sort of a funny story in parts. Um, in others, it's kind of almost a little dark. I mean, it's a little difficult to describe, but basically I was visiting a friend and she had a boyfriend and then there was another friend from San Francisco, so there were four of us. And a day at the beach refers to, we went to the Dead Sea and we were in the West Bank having a nice day doing the whole mud thing and things went really, really wrong. And I think that's all I'm gonna tell you about that one, but I, I, I love that story. Falling to Pieces is when I was living in southern Spain. And I was writing my novel, A Voice Beyond Reason, and I was staying in this, this really quirky, like so many of the places I stayed, this very quirky, quirky place that had originally been a stable for animals. And the owners, the current owners, had converted it to a uh, this little minuscule uh, studio. So part of the story is about the weird space in the bathroom that was built around this massive boulder to start but then I also wasn't the only one using the bathroom. And so this story talks about some of the other, um, some of the other residents in this, in this little place where I was staying. And then there's also a flashback to a similar experience that happened to me in Palm Springs. And that's another thing that I do somewhat, or not somewhat, but occasionally in this book is stories that are taking place while I'm overseas might, or in a particular place, often remind me of something that happened elsewhere and so there are quite a few sort of flashbacks where I tell little stories within the slightly larger story. So that's that's something that happens in Falling to Pieces. Rear Mirror is a story that actually happened here in the United States. It happened in Arizona. I was uh, with a friend and we were visiting a friend in Tucson. Our rental was in their driveway and they needed to pull their car into the garage. So as I went to back out our car, all of a sudden there was all these shouts, you know, stop, stop, don't move the car, don't move the car. But I couldn't see what was happening. So I'm looking in the rearview mirror, hence the uh, the title of the story. And I don't learn what happens until afterwards. And it, it was pretty funny. My Lost Soul is another story that takes place in Barcelona. I spend a fair amount of, of time in Barcelona. I've done, I do like to do a lot of writing there. And I have a particular place that I like to go. And again, this is another really bizarre, minuscule studio. But... I love it. It's got 360 degree views of the city, of, of the mountains, and of the Mediterranean. So, but it's also a seven, seven story walk up and has lots of other really, really strange sort of qualities. So half of this story is about just the space itself because the space itself merits its own story. But then of course something happens while I'm staying in this space that's the second half of, of this story, which again is my lost soul. All right, so like I said, My Lost Soul, it takes place in a really quirky uh, studio in Barcelona. And I have a video that I made in that space when I was there many years ago. And this is the only video that I've ever made that sort of kind of went viral. Viral is a little bit maybe a, an exaggeration, but um, it's definitely the video that got the most attention that I've done. 
Now, the, the, the irony here is it's one of the first videos I did. I didn't even have a video camera. I just had this really cheap Android. So the, um, you know, the quality of the video isn't very good, but I think, I think it's fairly entertaining. So here is a quick tour of my uh, little studio in Barcelona. So here's a quick tour of where I'm staying in Barcelona. One nice thing about the apartment is you never have to go to the bathroom because you're always there. Probably best suited for one person. When you're standing in the kitchen, or what's essentially the kitchen, you have to watch your step because if you don't, you can fall down the stairs. This is my favorite decoration in the apartment and it is a portrait of the former Italian porn star Cicciolina, I think that's how you say her name, who not only was a porn star but ran for public office, and I can't remember if she was actually elected or not, but she was also married to the artist Jeff Koons, who amongst other things is known for the huge porcelain sculpture that he did of Michael Jackson and his chimp Bubbles. Because it's so windy and there's nothing to hold the windows open with, I've had to get creative. So what I've done here is I've taken a hanger, just an ordinary hanger, and I have kind of stuck it on my desk in such a way and then balanced it against the underside of the window here so that it keeps it open. And I'm pleased to say that it works really well. Something that's really convenient about the apartment is that if you're on the toilet and you need something from the refrigerator or you want to microwave something, all you have to do is reach right out in front of you and you're there. I don't know what the room was originally, but there is a fireplace in the middle, so I suspect it was actually a dwelling. This is the full length mirror that is missing half a length. Because the apartment is located on the top floor, and because this is a really, really old building, hundreds of years, I'm not sure how old, but hundreds of years, it's in the Gothic Quarter, there's sort of an interesting task that you have to worry about each day, and that's what this switch is for. I have to turn the switch on in the morning and then on again in the evening, but off, just on for 10 or 15 minutes to fill up the water tank. And if I forget, then there's no water. And this is the washer, and this is the dryer. When I was here last year, I decided to put my smelly shoes on the shelf outside the window. That proved to be a horrible idea. Three hours and two trips to the sporting goods store later to buy a fishing line, hooks, and sinkers, I managed to fish the shoe that had fallen the three stories back up to the apartment. One of the best examples of how the apartment makes a great use of space is the desk. This window is also a really big concern because the wind is coming from behind us, from the sea, and so there are really strong winds that, that come in this direction. So what I do with this window is I just take the cord from the blind, 
and I wrap it around the toilet roll holder. The apartment doesn't have a closet, so when you're accessing the area that's the equivalent of the closet, just like when you're in the kitchen, you need to watch your step. I'm not sure the apartment is up to code. One of the coolest things about the apartment is the roof deck. Now, what's interesting about the roof deck is how you get up to it. So here we're obviously going into the shower, but if we turn to our left, we discover a staircase slash ladder somewhere in between that leads us up to the roof deck. So if we're careful, we can climb up and it's worth to climb because once we get up to the roof deck, we have a 360 degree view of the city. Those are the spires of the cathedral. This church is called Santa Maria del Mar. Here we have the W Hotel and the Mediterranean Sea. Then we have the Gothic Quarter. In the distance, the Olympic Port, the Puerto Olimpico. More of the Gothic Quarter. And then in the distance, we end up with um, the spires over there that you can see in the distance. That is the Sagrada Familia, which is Gaudí's church, still underway, but just an incredible, incredible architectural achievement, or at least it will be when it's done. One of the main symbols of Barcelona. Here's another view looking west, starting at the Sagrada Familia. Panning across the rest of the city with the mountains in the background. And ending up at the cathedral. Okay, so there you have it. There's a quick look at where I've been staying in Barcelona. I hope you enjoyed it. All right, so like I just said, there's a quick tour of my uh, little studio in Barcelona. I know it's kind of a dump, but I, I, I love it. And I've stayed there twice, and I would stay there again. I don't know if it's even still available. It's been a few years. Um, hopefully they've made some repairs in the meantime, but you know, the views, the deck, just, you know, everything's so convenient. I don't know. I just, I love that. And it's in, it's in a fantastic location, but anyway, quick tour of, of the setting for my story, uh, my lost soul. So now I'm going to take you back to the overview of my book and, uh, picking back up with chapter 12, which is called the, uh, the name of the story is, well, I'm not going to tell you the name of the story. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, of course, I know the name of the story. I'm not going to tell you, though, because I'm going to tell you in a second. But uh, those of you who have read my Morocco book with open arms will be familiar with this story. A Turkish Bath in Morocco is one of two stories that is actually already in my, or, you know, that I first published in my, my Morocco book with open arms, short stories of misadventures in Morocco. And but I just had included in this book because a Turkish bath. I mean, it goes so perfectly with the themes and with the other stories in Portugal Travels. And anecdotally, it just also seems to be one of the one of the favorite stories with readers from that collection. So um, I don't know that I need to explain more than that. A Turkish bath in Morocco. I guess I'll just say that uh, it's one of those experiences that, in hindsight, is pretty funny. But while I was living it, it was not funny at all. Strangers in the night. This was just a really strange night that I had when I was I was traveling with a friend in Paris. This particular night, we both decided to do our own thing. I went out, she went out, we did our own thing. I came home before she did, and I went to bed. Well, hours 
after I had already gone to sleep, someone barges into my room. And of course, I'm not expecting this. I'm jolted awake. I don't know if it's a thief, if it's, you know, if I'm under some sort of threat. And so Strangers in the Night is about that episode. But then it's also about a flashback to a hilarious uh, thing that happened when a freezing friend was visiting me here in San Francisco. And then it also just has this, this really sort of over-the-top ending. Uh, so that's Strangers in the Night. A Real Shortage is a story about when I was living in Istanbul, Turkey. And this isn't necessarily that funny. I think it's entertaining. I hope it's entertaining. It's really, again, sort of focused on the cultural aspects, so the cultural experiences that we can have sometimes specifically related, in this case, to water, a real shortage of water. I was living in Istanbul, and I was living in the center in a really old neighborhood in a really old building, and we only got water every few days, or every two or three days, depending. And so this is just some, uh, some anecdotes about how, how we dealt with that and how the landlady dealt with that. And then my experiences, of course, never having dealt with that sort of situation before, um, just kind of how I did and some of the, some of the things that, that resulted. A Dire Miscalculation, this is another story that, as the title suggests, is in line pretty directly with what you might expect Porcelain Travels to be about. And what I mean by that, again, is I am talking very explicitly here, although, again, sort of not off, not in an off-color way, but I am talking explicitly about uh, a biological process and a very grave mistake that I made while traveling on a boat on the Nile. And that was one that I really had to swallow my pride to write. So, again, uh, a diary calculation in Egypt. You Called Me a Girl is a story that I wrote here again in California this time, uh, in Tamales Bay, a couple hours north of San Francisco. And I'm not sure what to tell you about this one, other than there was some violence, a bit of an assault that resulted from a, from a misunderstanding related to the bathroom. And I think that's kind of all I can tell you about that one. Uh, really bizarre 24 hours. So that's, uh, you called me a girl. Identity crisis. This is about, you know, anyone I think who's traveled to Europe so many tubs slash showers in Europe don't have shower curtains. And I, I've, I've, you know, I've lived there several times, I've spent a lot of time traveling in Europe, and I've never understood it. And it just annoys me. I don't understand why they just don't buy shower curtains. So this is just a short story that takes place in Valencia, Spain, where I sort of recount my experience trying to shower without a shower curtain. Now you see it is just a really quick story. It's only about 800 words, but it's about a, a shower that I encountered in Oslo, Norway, not too long ago. And it was in this minuscule bathroom. The apartment wasn't so small, but for whatever reason, the, the bathroom was minuscule. And so the owner of the apartment had installed this shower that just made a really, it was an ingenious use of space. And so, like I said, really short story, 800 words, but it fit really well, again, with the other stories in this book. Watching you, this is another pretty short story. Um, and it's from, again, California. I was camping on uh, what's called the Lost Coast. And one morning I woke up, it was gray, it was misty, it was kind of foggy, and my friends were still asleep, but I had to go to the bathroom. So I went to the beach, on the edge of the beach, and started to do my business, thinking I was completely alone. Well, it turns out I wasn't alone. And so this story is about the interaction that I had as I'm doing my business that, that early that, that morning. Out in the Cold is one of my favorite stories. This is from when I was an exchange student in Spain. And my friend was also an exchange student in Finland at the time, in high school. And so once school wrapped up, 
I decided to go see my friends in Helsinki. Well, I got to the Nordic countries earlier than expected. So I decided to take the long way and go uh, up through Norway, come across Sweden, and, and back down to Finland that way. Well, not having expected to go to the Arctic Circle, I wasn't prepared to go to the Arctic Circle, and I really found myself in a bind when it turned out there were no trains and no hotels, and I was sort of stuck in the Arctic Circle. And so Out in the Cold is about uh, how I dealt with, with that little predicament. The Demon is the second story from my With Open Arms Morocco book, and it's another one that just deals so specifically with the subject matter dealt with in the other stories of course my travel that I had included. And it's also one of my favorite stories about um, there were four of us and we were making our foray out into the Sahara sand dunes and some things didn't go quite right for one of the, one of the guys that was with us. Rising sign, I'm Scorpio rising, that's an allusion to that. And this story is the second one that takes place in Malta. And there's also another flashback story here that takes place in Turkey. It's actually a more, it's not shorter, but a more intense story. Um, so that's, that's Rising Sign. No Refuge, this is another really long story. This is another one sort of like the bin in the bomb that was that I mentioned uh, is the second story. This is really sort of a collection of stories. And um, I was living in Paris, or living in France. I was in Paris at the time, but I was running out of money but I was getting a lot of writing done and I wasn't ready to come back home. And so I needed to get creative and I needed to find sort of a situation that would allow me to still be overseas, still be in France, but not spend a lot of money. And so I found this work trade situation. Well, as it turns out, this was not a refuge. This was not an equitable sort of trade. And it actually ended up being a really bad situation. As it turns out, I was able to find online some information about what happened to people who had been at this place after me. And, uh, Crazy, just really crazy. Let it flow, this is the second to the last story. But this is a story that again, does deal with biological processes, and it's sort of the opposite of my previous story that deals with them in the sense that I'm on a bus in Turkey, and I've really, really gotta go, but the bus is not stopping. And so the story is about, again, how I sort of deal with that. Finally, last but again not least, uh, Grin and Barriott. This is, uh, I was living, I was staying for three months on the Spanish island of Mallorca. Uh, it's about a, a bit of a crisis in this house where I'm staying. Well, the story then is about how I deal with the crisis, but then once I've dealt with the crisis, I'm still left in a bind. And so the story is about how I deal with the crisis, but then how I also deal with, with the bind that this crisis leaves me in. So, that is my off-the-cuff impromptu attempt to describe each of the 25 stories in my new book, Porcelain Travel. So the uh, the whole bathroom thing took me two days and three brands of bubble bath, and it was only until it wasn't until I got to that third brand of bubble bath that I could actually get bubbles that would stay bubbly for the twenty minutes that it took to do to do each of those uh, each of those those sessions. So anyway, that's just a little a little trivia for you about that shoot. And my other concern, of course, was that I was going to electrocute myself, which thankfully, clearly, um, I did not. Okay, so the other thing I wanted to do in addition to giving you the, the overview is I wanted to read you a story from the book. And I was going to play another video, but then I thought we've just done three videos or two videos, one of which was split, into, you know, split in half. So I thought that instead I would actually read uh, from my book. And what I'm going to read, it's, a, it's, it's just after the introduction to the story, The Bin and the Bomb. And like I said in, the, uh, in that video that I just showed you of the overview of all the chapters, um, the Bin and the Bomb is almost like a collection within a collection. 
And so this story that or this excerpt that I'm going to read from the story Ben and the Bomb is um, this is when I go to see the studio for the first time. And again, the Ben and the Bomb takes place in a, in a studio, a chambre de bonne or like a service quarters, servants quarters, servant room or service room uh, from way back when in this beautiful old Parisian building. But where I'm living uh, is anything but beautiful. And so anyway, but I'm on a budget and I go to see this place and this excerpt I'm going to read is the first time I'm seeing the studio where this takes place. All right. <clears throat> After a week of searching, I appeared to have found a place to live. To be sure, I needed to see it in person. I set up an appointment and the next day I went to check out the apartment. Stefan met me at the metro station and whisked me off to his place just a couple of minutes away. In order to see it, it was necessary to climb seven flights of stairs. The building was an old, grandiose Osman in an upscale neighborhood. I commented that it seemed odd there wasn't an elevator. There he is, Stefan responded, before bounding out of sight. We just don't get to use it. The apartment was a chambre de bonne, or service room, which was essentially where the help lived way back when. More than welcome in the homes of their employers when cooking or cleaning, at all other times, apparently the servants were to remain out of sight. That explained why, even though the building did in fact have an elevator, it didn't go to the top floor, where the service rooms were located. The servants didn't even have off-tower access to the main entrance. Instead, they were expected to use a separate, discrete door a few feet away, the same one through which the trash was dragged in and out. So much for fraternité, égalité, and liberté. Stefan vaulted up each flight as he had countless times before. Not only his years of experience, but the long legs on his tall, lanky frame, affording him a considerable advantage over me. Not that I wished him any ill will, but I was almost relieved when I found him panting at the top of the stairs. My relief was short-lived. I was soon seeing not one, but several Stefans, each moving about like crystals in a kaleidoscope. I sat down and put my head between my knees. For a moment, I was back in the only session of Bikram yoga I had ever dared attend. Reliving the alarming instant, I realized that although I was watching him and he was still talking, I no longer heard anything the instructor in the classroom Kamsana was saying. This must be what it feels like before you pass out, it occurred to me. Every drop of blood in my body had drained below my waist. If I didn't sit down that very instant, it would be lights out. It's harder if you stop pathway up, Stefan offered. I barely nodded, like a coma patient who can only communicate by moving his big toe. Stefan and his girlfriend, a Chilean woman named Maria, were getting ready to spend a few months traveling around South America, which was why they were subletting their apartment. When we opened the door, Maria was there to greet us. There was, after all, no other place for her to be. I have no idea how it was possible for two adults to cohabitate in such confined quarters. Prisoners sharing a cell have more room to move around. Astronauts in space stations have more privacy. Even conjoined twins live more separate lives than Stefan and Maria at home together. Well, here it is, Stefan proclaimed in a timid statement of the obvious. He seemed nervous. Here it is, I echoed, not sure what else to say. I also forced a smile, hoping to disguise my shock and dismay. Well, uh, Stefan began, looking around as though trying to figure out where to start. There's the futon, which folds out into a bed. 
and the wood plank hanging from the chain can be uh, put up against the wall when you're not using it as a table. He proceeded to give me a demonstration. I, however, was distracted. Looking beyond the retractable table, through a large window I beheld an unobstructed, top-to-bottom view of the Eiffel Tower. It was breathtaking. Other than from open spaces like the Trocadero or the Champs de Mars, I wouldn't have even thought such a view was possible. There's the TV, Stefan continued, making yet another statement of the obvious. A large screen hung on an adjustable arm sticking out of the wall. Couldn't miss it. And uh, there's the internet connection, he concluded. I looked down at the floor, where a blinking black box sat atop a tangled nest of wires. The sink's in there, Maria interjected, motioning to a minuscule alcove off the main room. It was about as big as one of those old ironing board closets. Yeah, in the hot plate and microwave, added Stefan. Apparently the alcove served as the kitchen. It's really, really important you turn off the gas whenever you're using the hot plate. You're done using the hot plate. Butane tanks aren't allowed in apartments anymore, Maria explained, because there have been some explosions. But we don't have any other way to cook. It made perfect sense. If they couldn't cook, they couldn't eat, and they would die. Without cooking, death was certain. Death by butane tank explosion, on the other hand, was merely a possibility. Like any prudent, rational thinkers, they had chosen the less risky option. I took a closer look. On the shelf under the microwave, there was a small butane tank. Ironically, other than the fact it was blue, it looked just like one of those stereotypical bowling ball bombs in old cartoons. A hose ran behind some shelves, connecting the tank to a two-burner camping stove, which Stefan had referred to as the hot plate. That was where I would be doing my cooking, assuming, of course, that I myself wasn't burnt to a crisp in yet another unfortunate, newsworthy mishap. That's why you also have to make sure you always open the window when you're cooking, continued Stefan, while showing me how to raise the small four-pane window over the camping stove. And please don't remove the piece of paper. The window pane is broken on the other side, and the paper keeps it in place, he added. I looked at the paper. It featured a huge set of lips that had benefited from a reparation, volumizing, and anti-aging regimen developed by a Parisian laboratory. I made a mental note never to I made a mental note never to remove the paper from the window. Wouldn't want to hurt those pretty lips, especially not after all the work that had gone into them. Returning my attention to whether I was up for the dangers of living with a potential bomb, never not to mention the ever bit a sinister threat of a gas leak lulling me into a permanent slumber, Maria deftly changed the subject. The bathroom, she said. Oh yeah responded Stefan with a smile, as though he couldn't believe he hadn't thought of it sooner. Come on. We stepped back out into the hallway. As we did, Stefan insisted it was paramount I always carry the key with me whenever I left the room, since the door locked automatically. I made another mental note, adding it to the ones about the gas and the lips. We walked to the end of the hall, where Stefan opened a narrow door that from the outside appeared to be a closet. And, in a sense, it was. I found myself presented with the very embodiment of a water closet. Besides a tall window, there was room for nothing in the little chamber other than a toilet and the brush used to clean it. There were actually two water closets, one at the end of each hall, or one at each end of the hall. They were shared with the neighbors, creatures of the night who were few in number and rarely seen. As you can tell, it's clean, 
The neighbors are very respectful, Maria pointed out, in case I hadn't noticed. I had, but my mind had already moved on to something else. As elsewhere in my travels, water closet was not to be confused with the more comprehensive term bathroom. There was neither a sink nor a tub or shower in the little room. Where did Stefana Maria bathe, I wondered. The answer would prove to be an ingenious, albeit unorthodox, setup back in the kitchen alcove. Hanging from the ceiling were two shower curtains I had overlooked initially. No doubt while wondering if the benefits of renting the apartment outweighed the risk of dying in it. Stefan explained the role that curtains played in maintaining his and, Maria, his and Maria's personal hygiene. It's easier if you just shower at the pool, he began. But when you want to shower here, first you have to put this on the floor. He motioned to an empty rubber bin that had been resting against the wall. It was the size of a laundry basket. Then, continued Maria, you unhook the shower curtains and let them come to rest in the bin. Like a flight attendant describing life-saving techniques, she demonstrated the procedure. After that, you take this hose and you hook it up to the sink. Then you turn on the water, get it to the right temperature, and take your shower, explained Stefan. You just have to make sure not to take too long. Otherwise, the bin will overflow and you'll have a big mess on your hands. I thought at the time at home when I'd failed to turn the faucet all the way off after going to the bathroom in the middle of the night. The sink had a slow drain and the water overflowed, flooding the bathroom floor and seeping through my downstairs neighbor's ceiling. Earplugs and insured, I slept through it all until my panicked landlord came pounding on my door early the next morning. A big mess indeed. Returning to the situation at hand, I considered the facts. By Parisian standards, the apartment was cheap. Most other apartments I'd found were much more expensive. Still, forgetting for a moment the whole bomb thing, was I really up for showering in a laundry basket? Although I'm normally more adaptable than just about anyone I know, that sort of felt like taking it to a new extreme. On the other hand, I wouldn't have to live with roommates. The apartment had a high-speed internet connection and a TV. It also had that spectacular view of the Eiffel Tower. Then, of course, there was the one other factor I had been com conveniently overlooking. I was out of time. No other feasible options had presented themselves, and I didn't feel comfortable extending my stay at my friend Sophie's. I talked the chronically codependent couple down 100 euros a month. We had a deal. So that is sort of the intro just after the intro to my story, The Bin and the Bomb. And that wraps up today's show about my new book, Porcelain Travels. As I said at the beginning, it is out 11.11, a week from today, in both paperback and ebook. And you can pre order it now, so why wait? You can find it at all the usual suspects online, including Amazon, Barnes and Noble, iBooks, and many more. And as I mentioned at the beginning of today's show, if you live in the Bay Area, you can also find Porcelain Travels at Book Passage. And if you are local, please stop by Book Passage in the San Francisco Ferry Building on Monday, uh, November 12th at 6 p.m. when Left Coast Writers will be hosting a launch party for the book and for me. And I'm really looking forward to that and really excited about that. And again, that's Monday, November 12th at 6 p.m. at Book Passage in the San Francisco Ferry Building. If you cannot make that event, fear not. There will be more, including the event that I also mentioned, but I'm just going to mention again on December 7th at the Book Passage in Corte Madera where I will be part of an event featuring a few Morocco books, including Porcelain Travel. I have three stories um, 
three Moroccan stories in Porcelain Travels, two of which are in the, the Morocco book, and then one that's actually a new one that I didn't include in that book, although I guess I already said that in, in the video. But anyway, point being, uh, we'll be talking all about Morocco, December 12th, Friday night, Corte Madera Book Passage, and uh, so please come out to that. And you can make sure you're in the loop about all the other upcoming events by subscribing to my mailing list on MatthewFelix.com. I typically only send out updates every four to eight weeks, so do not worry about being bombarded. And uh, in the meantime, if you're curious about the stories before they actually arrive in your, uh, in your, in your mail, you can go to uh, my podcast, Porcelain Travels, of the same name, which just like this podcast and all my podcasts is on uh, iTunes and Google Play, as well as many other platforms. And I think there are six or seven, maybe eight, actually, uh, stories from Porcelain Travels, including two live readings, are in that podcast. So thank you for letting me go on and on uh, about my new book. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited about it. I wanted, uh, wanted to you know, take the time to kind of uh, give the world an introduction, and hopefully it was enjoyable for you. It was fun for me making the videos. And uh, so that's all for today. But next week, like I said, uh, author Linda Watanabe McFerrin will be on to talk about her forthcoming anthology and actually her two anthologies, one of her work, one of the um, one, one about Cuba, about writings about Cuba that she is editor for. And we'll talk about those two anthologies and much more. Thank you for watching and listening today. If you like the show, please share on social media and subscribe, rate and review on YouTube, iTunes and or Google Play. That is the only way the word gets out, and I, um, <laughs> sorry, I just read a comment about my French accent. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't sure that I should, oh, uh, I wasn't sure that I should actually do the French accent, but then I thought, you know, what the hell. Uh, so thanks for that, Aaron, and uh, thanks to Christina and Matthew for joining. By the way, as I'm signing off here, I just saw your comments. Uh, but anyway, for more about me, my website, MatthewFelix.com, and links to my social media books, other podcasts, and all the rest can be found there. And if you uh, want to be on the show, have ideas for the show, I would love to hear from you at FelixOnAir at MatthewFelix.com. Thanks again for watching, and have a great week.